and we're live. Let me just uh, get this tweet out here. Come on, there we go. You want to hop it up in my uh, Twitter has been weird, weird about this lately. I try to tag people and they won't ever pop up in the uh, sink. That's annoying. Yeah, I had to, I had to save a draft, go find a guy. On, I got the sound going from the other stream. There we go. I had to save it through the draft, find a guy, go ahead, tweet at him, copy his handle, and then paste it into the chat. Because it just would not pop up. I, I could search him, but I couldn't tag him. It was the dumbest thing. That is a that is annoying. Okay, here we go. There we go. So I saw uh, the Twitter sitstorm that you and Clint and Ace and Cyprian now and pretty much everyone is just hopping in. Oh, Cyprian's I, in it now? Yeah, him and Ace are going at it. Oh, it's, man. Uh, yeah, it's I, – I love I – love I, I see both sides, and I love everyone that's at. And I, I tweeted – I talked to my friend about it, and I said, um, Ace has the principled and probably most ethical solution. Clint has the actual solution. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it, it really sucks because I'm always trying to be like that principled. Um, you know, I don't think you should do evil. I don't think you should do evil. Nor do I think you should permit evil. But when it comes to this semi-fascism of the government, it's very hard to hold that line. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, so it's if your if your principles are not applicable, like if if you try to apply them to the, to the real world, and the result you get is the opposite of the ideal world that you're looking for, then um. I, I, it's like it doesn't matter how coherent your principles are in theory. Yeah. They have to actually port to the real world, and if they don't port to the real world, then you've got to reevaluate the principles. Yeah, I, I, I described it as it's a philosophizing midstream. You're trying to argue anarcho-capitalist principles in a very unlibertarian society, and it's right. not going to get you where you want it. Sad, right, you did. If it did, that'd be be great. <laughs> right, what you're describing is you're describing the endpoint that we need to start engineering toward. You know, we, we need to figure out what set of of behaviors, uh, tools, institutions, whatever incentives that we need to create to get ourselves to that point. But we can't act as if we're already there yeah. because demonstrably, if we act like we're already in Ancapistan or as Pete Quinone says, like, like we're living in Ancapistan in our heads, then we move away from Ancapistan. We move yeah. to, to greater and greater tyranny. So there's this irony that the... The, the current principled application of libertarian dogma actually increases tyranny in the world. <laughs> yeah, and on that uh, point of solutions, go join the Mises GOP caucus and uh, hope Andrew is the anti-tax. Yes. Because <laughs> I got him coming on a podcast, uh, September 30th, and I asked him, how long can he stay? He's like, only two hours. I like, only two? <laughs> I have so much I want to talk to you about. I'll, I'll limit it to two hours, but... I am I'm excited for that one. And I got you and uh Jared from In Democracy coming on from Hoppian talking about Curtis Yard. Like he's a I don't know if you noticed about him, but he's actually a guy who doesn't believe libertarianism is sin. He believes libertarianism is, an, is inherently a sick ideology. And so hmm. I am very interested in seeing that kind of conversation, kind of seeing where you guys go out, go from it from there. Cause it's he's great, you're great. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I can't wait. So. It's gonna be when it when is that? What date we settled on? Uh, I think we did Tuesday, the twenty eighth. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's yeah. yeah um so I, I'm gonna do a self plug here. I might be getting. Uh, I got a bunch of podcasts set up for the future, so everyone listening, subscribe, hit the notification bell. I might be getting your own book from the Ayn Rand Institute to come on and talk about objectivist parenting, and so that's gonna nice. be really interesting. To kind of see how that comes. I, I love talking to people about different parenting philosophies. I had uh, Patrick Smith on for Peace of Parenting, 
And now I'm going to try to do the objectivist parenting and try to just kind of go through all the philosophies as a parent. Because that's, that's a lot of people who under philosophy on parents. And so you kind of get these people who are like teenagers or young adults learning these things and applying them to life. And you never know how to go and apply when they have kids. And I mm. really want to see that kind of principled philosophy applied to everything else. So it's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that. Um, you know, that Max Pass thing, like I live in Florida. And so I'm, I'm lucky. You know, I'm, I was talking to my friend about it today. And I have a friend who runs a comic book store. And he has uh, cancer, and he's not doing mm. great. His wife, him and his wife's both immune system is just shot to hell. And mm. so I'm like, he should have the right to say, um, you can't come in here since you're vaccinated because of the high risk he has of dying. But places like Walmart, if Walmart does a vax pass, you know it was a backroom deal, and it's a corporate system. Yeah. And so it's very like, if I was writing the law, I'd have it be like, okay, small businesses don't apply. Once you reach a certain metric, then you can't, you become a public space. Hmm. Which is not very libertarian, not very principled, but I think that's the best middle ground to save small businesses and still fight the semi-fascist, half Jim Crow nonsense that the uh, federal government's trying to throw at us. Right. Yeah. The, the the whole point of this is I just finished doing a live stream over on on our YouTube channel on Kingfield, and we were talking about this right at the very end of the conversation. There's this like instinct within libertarians, which I think is really kind of more of just a it's like a liberal thing, generally speaking. There's this instinct to when dealing with a specific situation, they abstract away and then try to come up with they're trying to come up with the one single principle that can be universally applied to every single situation. And then they're going to apply that to every single situation. But yeah, but that doesn't that's not always viable. You can't always do that. So you've got to take the situation for what it is. And in this case, it's very transparently obvious that this is an orchestrated organized effort to pressure people into partaking in a pharmaceutical experiment that people don't want to take one. So the reason that it's being done is for that reason. So if you say, well, technically they have the right to do all of this, you're Mm -hmm. ultimately just participating in that orchestrated cabal. You're, you are now serving as a pawn of that. It doesn't matter what your intentions are. It matters what the actual, um, effect is of the specific actions that you choose to take. And so in this mm-hmm. particular case, if you choose to try to to get all anal about property rights and say, oh, private property, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're really just functioning as a pawn of what you call the state. Yeah. I don't know who said it, but someone said uh, no one really owns their property because they all pay property tax. Yeah. So in reality, we all went from the state, and therefore we have the right to work within the state system to exact this kind of state. I'm like, that's a fair argument. You don't right. really They're, own anything in a society, so that's fair. If you want to, if you want to question, if you want to try to prove that you're the one who owns your property, stop paying property taxes. I'm not yeah. saying that you should. I'm not saying this is how it should be. I'm saying this is how it is. Yeah. This property owners are quote unquote owners because the state says they are. That's just yeah. that's just the reality of the situation. I don't want it to be that way. I want to change that. I want to come up with a way that we can engineer ourselves a set of incentives to get ourselves away from that reality. But that is the reality. The, yeah. the 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 state owns this property because it is the most powerful institution in the region. It owns it purely based upon its its uh, its actual potential for violent action and its willingness to use that violent action. That's a reality. That's a, just just a reality of the situation. If you want it to be different, you have to first accept the reality. 
So these actual these property owners are not property owners. They're actually just delegates of the state who have been yeah. who have been approved in that responsibility by the state. And so they need to be treated accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. It oh pulled up. I gotta throw my friend Rob popping in the chat was a kid. Yep. <laughs> Rob up, is Rob? one of the Rob is one of the best guys on Twitter. I am I sat with that guy all the time, and he is one of my favorite people to talk to. I want him to come on the podcast, but he says, I'm not interested enough. Rob, you're interested enough. Come on the show. Do it. Please. <laughs> like, Rob is from Texas, and there's something about people from Texas and Florida. We are ve- we view politics very differently. Yeah. People in Pennsylvania other states, they are very artistic about, like, the state because they can't imagine the state actually doing good. And Florida and Texas, we accept the fact that the state can do good because we've seen it happen. Yeah. I, I don't think the state's the best good, but it can achieve good. And while we have it, we should use it in our advantage. I fully agree with that. I was just reading on my stream. I was just reading this quote from from uh, Mitch's Moldbug, where he compares the the state to an 800 pound gorilla on acid, <laughs> whooping it up at the wheel of a bulldozer. And he says, from his perspective, he sees that gorilla on that bulldozer, and he says, or he says, a libertarian sees it and says, stop that bulldozer. And uh, him as a as a, he, a follower of Carlyle of Thomas Carlyle, he calls himself the Carlylean. He says the Carlylean says, stop the gorilla. The bulldozer can be useful. The, the bulldozer can do a lot of very good things. The bulldozer being a uh, uh, basically a, a government, some sort some sort of, of governing apparatus. And so the goal is that um, first to accept that there is it's it's inevitable that there's going to be a governing apparatus, and then um, accepting the one that you have today, acknowledging that it exists and that you can't stop it from existing without first accepting it, and then work toward engineering how to replace it. So the first thing you have to do is you have to get the 800 pound gorilla on acid out of the bulldozer. So in that case, it's the the evil, corrupt uh, people who are inclined to abuse the state and weaponize it for 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 ill purposes. Those people are the ones who are incentivized to occupy the existing state. If we want those people to not be incentivized to get in to get into those positions, there's a number of ways we can do that. First of all, you could take up those positions yourself and prevent them from getting in there. You're not going to solve the problem, but you can, you're, that's a, you're, you're initiating a conflict. And so now you have to negotiate that conflict to ensure you come out ahead and you can go read Sun Tzu or whatever you want to try to do that. Um, Or you have to build a new governing apparatus altogether that functions mm -hmm. even better than this one Mm -hmm. to the point that so many people recognize how good it is that they all abandon this one and move over to that one. Yeah. Now, of that's, course, you're going to have all kinds of issues with it, but that goes into the engineering aspect. That's why I'm pro-succession, specifically in mm-hmm. Florida and Texas. If we can get Florida, Texas, whenever we'll lose a state in between, this to succeed, I think the King DeSantis government would be so much better. Yes. You, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to make the argument. It would be like there'd be a Berlin Wall, and you'd have East and West Berlin. And you wouldn't, you could make the argument, but you can just look over and see the lights and you would know, okay, this is, I know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. Why I'm, this them. was, this was a big, big red pill for me from, from considering myself an anarchist. I, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to leave the world of theory and I'm going to go into the world of reality and, and, mm-hmm. and then theoretically, <laughs> if somebody was to ask me, do you want to live in this country that's very poorly governed or this country? that's governed better though it's not an ancap and i don't know it's not ancapistan which would you choose between those two mm-hmm. not not what would be your ideal government what would you choose between these two existing governments well i would choose the one that's governed better mm-hmm. so so obviously 
there's desire, there's demand for good government. And now we need to, we need to improve that government. We need to get it better. But to say, oh, well, I, they're all the same to me. They're all, they yeah. all violate my rights. So they're all the same. Oh, That's I got completely it. incoherent. I lost my shit on a dude. I, went, I was all talking about him. He's like, I can't tell if these uh, blue states or red states, which one's worse. It's like in the blue states, it's all this COVID stuff. But in the red state, I can't smoke weed. It's like, dude, you can smoke weed in Florida. You just got to hide it. <laughs> it's idea like you can't hide from the COVID vaccine, COVID shit. You just don't get caught out of Florida. The idea this is like at all comparable is stupid as hell. Yeah, oh, and that you it. would even compare that you would even compare smoking weed. I, I have done my share of smoking weed in my life. Mm-hmm. That you would even compare that to the COVID shit shows just a comp- just a complete um, yeah. uh, divorce from reality. Yeah, my I've been trying to trying to figure out how to like label. I need I need to put things in the systems to understand it. And I'm trying to figure out how I can divide these two, these post-libertarian, uh, you guys and all the other people. And the best I can figure it out is there's the scholar types who have the principles and they have everything and they, they walk in the room with the theoretical and they're right and they're consistent and they're moral. These are like the Mises Institute, Tom Woods, Ace Arcus. These people are like, they're it. Then there's the philosopher types like you, Pete, Adam, Cyprian. You guys deal much more on the realm of reality and are having actual solutions that may not be principled it may not appeal to the scholars consistently but you i guess are actually gonna i think read something when the scholars are gonna sit in the classroom and teach everyone like the scholars are necessary you have to teach everybody if you want to learn but they actually have to have the students go out and do you know that's the thing yeah. with the elites the elites in the classes teach the students and students do it does everything that's a that's an interesting way of framing it i like that because i i don't see it as <coughs> um I, I don't see it so much as that they're wrong as it is that they only have part of the story. There's there's more that has to go with it. That's what I keep referring back to. But that's what our, our stream we were just talking about was the fact that if you're trying to base your society just on rights, if you're only focused on rights, you're only focused on what you think other people owe you, you're missing the most important part of the story, which is your obligations. You, you are obligated to other people. You're born into a network of obligations. You're born into a network of relationships, and those relationships are defined by obligations. You're obligated, your, your parents are obligated to care for you and to provide for you and to be good parents. And, this, and accordingly, you're obligated to respect them and obey them and, and follow their leadership and learn from them. These are, these, these, are, these are obligations that you are bound by, first and foremost. And if you don't fulfill your obligations, then you are you do not deserve the 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 um the rights that come with having fulfilled those responsibilities ultimately mm-hmm. rights are a product of responsibilities that you've fulfilled yeah and you can see the covid cult um they 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 have a system that works really really well and that's why they're doing it and it's because yeah. it's very similar to reality but it's but it's twisted it's perverted because they're they they understand this principle that you have an obligation to the society around you that you cannot just do whatever you want and still be accepted within the society. If you're going to do whatever you want, you're going to be kicked out of the society. This is just the yeah. way that human civilizations Forcibly work. Possibly removed, so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so the question is, what are those responsibilities? What do mm-hmm. they entail? And, and, and how do you um, maintain a healthy, stable society where everybody has an incentive to fulfill their responsibilities mm-hmm. to, to, um, the way I, I said it in the stream was it's like that rights, we, we conceptualize, libertarians conceptualize rights as this thing that flows toward you. It's like everybody owes me respect for my property rights, for example. 
But that's not how rights work. Rights actually are something that you owe other people, that you have to start by respecting other people and fulfilling your responsibility toward them. If you do that, then they're going to be open to you. Like if you if you ask me to do something for you and I go do it, or even better, if I see that you need it and I go do it for you proactively, then in the future, you're going to be much more likely to accept something that I ask for from you. You're going to, yeah. there's, there's, you, we've built the groundwork for reciprocity. And once you get a groundwork of reciprocity, then you can start talking about things like rights. Because ultimately mm -hmm. the rights, the only rights that matter are the ones that you can actually enforce the ones that you can actually protect. Property is just a promise. Pro property is a promise of violence. You're saying that here is the line at which I will engage in violence with you. Mm -hmm. So it's just, a, it's fundamentally a matter of consensus. Yeah. It's a matter of, 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 of collective agreement. And so in order for everybody to collectively and uh, co collectively agree, they have to all be operating on the same wavelength. So we have to get to that point where we're all operating on the same wavelength. Then we can start doing things like trying to establish a, uh, everyone agreeing on what constitutes property and how we can dish all this stuff out. But we have to get to that point first. Yeah, the, the only thing I would push back on is you said the word responsibility because so many libertarians are scared of responsibility. I would tell you, I would use the word cont uh, contingent. Your rights are contingent on others because they, yeah, they, sure. they, 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 they work in philosophy much better than they work with responsibility. I have a, I have a tree I put out about once a week that, um, this is, I love saying it. Libertarians will be the smartest person in the room. I say many of them never leave the basement. <laughs> I, I tweet out about once a week. I say it to people because <laughs> it's, it's the case. And, yeah. Um, well, one more thing I got to say before it happened to the book is uh, I talked to a guy, Kevin Burns, from uh, he, he was a part of the uh, EU Liberty Party or UK Liberty Party. Um, and what he, his, his entire, he's an Iran objectivist type, fully adopts the philosophy like, all the way. And his whole point of the political party is he wants to educate a new class of intellectuals to replace the ones in the uh, academia. Like he is actively trying to create the next circulation of elites so we can actually educate people. People are blank slates and you educate them in colleges and we have all the idiots in colleges now teaching their nonsense. So he's actively trying to re replace those elites. And it's very interesting because he's, 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 he's found the issue. And he's trying to fix it. And he's one guy, and he's teaching Ayn Rand objectivist his own problem. I'm not an objectivist. But he's figured it out, and he's doing it. And I, I wish libertarians would like – like the Mises Institute has the greatest scholars in the world, in my opinion. The greatest, the greatest part of the Mises Institute is Thomas De Lorenzo because he works in the colleges. Well, he did. He retired, sadly. He worked in the colleges and would teach classes counter to what the other teachers were teaching. He'd find out what the argument capitalism was and would teach capitalism and his critics. And when he would, he would assign the same books and counter it. Ooh. That's what you need to do. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to do. That's why I'm going to school to be an economist. I can be a professor. It's like, this is the solution. You actually got to replace the elites by educating mm -hmm. them. With the right, I, I'm all for educating and waking people up, but you got to do it in the white institutions. Right. And right. replacing the colleges as elites is the way to do it. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm a Thomas Taylor Windsor fan. He's my favorite person alive, I think. Uh, yeah, there was that's a word, brilliant. There was, the Lindsay Owen or whatever after me. That'd be me. <laughs> yeah, you 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 don't. This is a this is a thing that that just it just gets me that political parties are not evangelistic platforms. They're just they yeah. they're not. They're places where people who already have a an ideology, who already have a um a, a belief system, to go to obtain power for themselves. That's the that's the the purpose of the institution. If you turn it into an evangelistic platform you've now created a different institution and history is pretty clear about how successful those institutions are. They just aren't. It just isn't something that's functional. 
Um, and it just so happens that it comes with all sorts of costs as well. When you have a, like, if you're, if you're in the, in the, at the point where a regime is collapsing and you're now positioning yourself as an explicit threat to that regime, or you're trying yeah. to present yourself as that, you're just setting yourself up as a scapegoat. You're setting yourself up as actually, if, I mean, if you understand the principle or the, the concept of archotropism that, that Andrew from Popular Liberty talks about, you realize that positioning yourself in opposition to the regime actually makes you a foil. It actually creates, you become the means by which the, the regime expands its own power. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if, there's just, it's just, obviously we're not here to debate the, the merits of, of the Libertarian Party, but that's, that's, there's a, there's a, a, a principle to, I think that you could drive from this book, just kind of segue to the book, that mm-hmm. it's, it's a recognition of human societies recognizing that they have specific patterns to the way that they build and grow and develop and move and evolve. And and evaluating them as like dispassionately evaluating them as um, as a as a phenomenon, the way you would a, a colony of ants or a, or a hive of bees, just like, OK, this is the behavior that they did have. And then they moved to this point where they had this different behavior. And what was it in between those things? What were the what were the effects or the pressures, the the selection, the biases and, and stuff there that, that caused them to go from this pattern of behaviors to this pattern of behaviors? Once you understand that, you start understanding how people are wired and you understand that people are programmable. They're very programmable. You just have to, to, to relate to them based on you have to, as Jason Stapleton says, you have to enter the conversation that they're already having in their head. If you mm-hmm. do that and you lead with empathy and you present to them solutions for the problems that they're trying to solve, which is the number one, number one, first and foremost problem that anybody is trying to solve is security. Everyone mm-hmm. just wants to be safe. Yeah. So if you're trying to sell them the opposite of security, then they're not going to buy it. You have to sell them security. And if you, mm-hmm. so, so all of this goes together that, that, that you can, if you evaluate human society from like a scientific basis, from like more a, a, an objective zoomed out scientific basis, I think you can begin building a map for how we can begin entering ourselves into the world and changing and affecting and manipulating and, and, and guiding the world in the direction that we want to go. Before we get to the book, I gotta do a long little uh, self-promotion. Uh, no, no, it sucks, guys. Money, money, it just sucks. You know, God said not to be. God said to not have money, and so I offer this wonderful service. I want a little charity, where I take all the money that uh, you guys don't want, and I provide it to the people. I provide mainly to women who walk out of their car and they, sometimes they need a hotel room and they can't afford it. I provide the money for the hotel room. And so, if you really hate money and you want to help these poor women. Go ahead and purchase your Democracy is Quinn's T-shirt. <laughs> and I will take care of all your cumbersome money and provide the people who need it. The low-income in, low women who walk out of hotels and men who sit on the stoops and sell things to you. So, as a Floridian, that is what I offer you. So, please DM me for the T-shirts and I will take care of your money. Okay, on to the book. Short History of Man. I'm going to open with a quote from the book that I absolutely loved in sort it promotes capital consumption nor is it an advantage of democracy that free entry into every state position exists whereas under monarchy every um entry is restricted to the king's discretion to the contrary the only competition and the production of goods is a good thing con ah i cannot read for shit today (coughs) regardless i'm going to sum it up because my eyesight's fucking with me Democracy sucks, and monarchy <laughs> is superior, 
and you said, I'll take the king pill. Matt, what were some of the things you took away from the book on your on your second or third week, uh, time to it? So the biggest thing I took away from it this the the this now third time through it was the there was actually the latter half of the book where he kind of goes into it's sort of like a condensed democracy the god that failed mm-hmm. where he 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 makes the case for the 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 existence of a natural aristocracy and the the means by which a king evolves out of that 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 phenomenon it's based on um, people trying to protect their own interests and and the the society naturally stratifies into the the aristocracy and then the the plebs and then a single member of the aristocracy who wants to protect his interests over and above the rest of them he begins appealing to the masses and he 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 offers the masses a better system than the one that they currently live in which mm-hmm. is probably going to raise them up out of some kind of poverty or serfdom and it's going to give them a better maybe a more consistent system of law or something like that he gives them he 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 appeals on a populist basis to them basis mm-hmm. to the masses and then you get this like they say that there's 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 the, the quote that there's only three types types of government and really there's only two and really there's only one but the three yeah. types of government are are um monarchy aristocracy and democracy and really it's just monarchy and aristocracy because yeah there you go really it's just monarchy and aristocracy because democracy yeah. is just aristocracy and then really it's just aristocracy because ultimately yeah. every monarchy is is going to be governed by um in 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 a, in a sort of tension with the natural aristocrats mm-hmm. so the, like the secret to zoom ahead of all of this this the the goal if you're if your goal is to change the world if your goal is to change the structure of society the way that you do it is by changing the nature or the distribution of the aristocracy you have to change the culture of the elites and if you change the culture of the elites everything else will will change yeah. downstream from that and and going back to Paul Euler, that's why I think the Kevin Burns and the Thomas Lee Lorenzo types actually have the solution. Yeah. Like they're the ones who are actually like I think that's what people need. People are, are people are gonna at this point, college is so much you can people say you don't need it, but at this point, so many things require it that you kind of have to get it. What's what sucks? You're gonna waste your time, you're gonna get student debt, and you're not gonna really learn anything. But what you can get out of that is certification to actually make a difference. And with the government about to step in and cover everyone's student debt, because I, I, I'm going to college fully on student debt because I have a hundred percent faith that Biden is going to pay for it. At this point, yep. I can, I bet money the government is going to fucking up stuff over and pay for my school. And this is a, <laughs> this is an advantage. The government's going to fund its own. If you get if you get the people into the colleges to replace the elites and teach new people how to think properly, and the government's going to fund its own takedown because they're going to pay for your school. And that's this is what we need. We want the government funding its own destruction. And that's what we need to do with these getting people into the elites. You know, people that uh, these already exist. You know, they have these chapters like a card is like the yard, students for liberty, young Americans for freedom, the uh, turning point. These are chapters that exist on college campuses and have people come speak to them. And what do these people do? They sit around, they drink beer, and then they leave. They should be learning, to, learning how to teach. And that's what I, that's why I really am fan of Thomas A. Lorenzo, Kevin Burns strategy because the elites. The elites only change the future and predict everything, but the intellectuals are the ones that are people buy into the intellectual story of how something came to be. And that's something Hopper talks about in the book is that the intellectuals come out and they'll say, the previous king was bad. All these terrible things happened. Here's the new guy, divine right of kings. And they'll give all this credence for why the king gets to be the king. And right. we have the same system with all these elites saying how good a democracy is and how we need a direct democracy, and how good socialism is and why a mixed economy is good. That is how all this power originates and stays in circulation. And as you get into that circle, you're not going to change anything. 
this is the this is the principle of mimetic theory being being borne out. The um, or it's it's not all of mimetic theory, but it's part of mimetic theory. The 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 fact that human human desire comes from mimicry. People people have desires because other people have desires. They see desirable people and they mimic their desires. So you're always going to get the small minority of people are going to be the most desirable people in the culture. And so whatever they desire is what everyone else is going to desire. So the, 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 the role of the universities, as you pointed out, is to basically, it's a, it's a, um, a stratification device. It's a device that's to sort the elites from the non-elites. And everyone within the elite class believes they all share a worldview because they all came through that filtering device. That's the device where their worldview was installed. And, and it's actually, it's getting even earlier than that as well, because through um, mass media, through the internet, this is, this is the actual effect of social media is that it takes what happened in the, in the universities and it's now implanting it in people from a really early age. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that it's actually, um, I think it's, it's, we're getting to a point where it's where the, we're evolving beyond the universities where they almost don't even need them anymore because yeah. they have the, they have these other tools. It's like they got through the door in time. They closed the door behind them. And now it's like, all right, well, if you come through, your degree is not worth anything anymore. Our degree was worth something because we got it earlier and we were able to capitalize on it. It's like a, the, the, the principle of compound interest in maybe in terms of influence with the degrees. And so now people who are getting into the game later, they, their influence is worth less. So, but this is, so this is an opportunity <laughs> To determine, okay, well, what's what's the new certification device going to be? Mm-hmm. Where are we moving toward? What can we, rather than skating to where the puck is right now, can we skate ahead of it? Can we get, yeah. you know, ahead of the puck? And I think part of that is going to come through the universities. We're going to need people, like you said, who are um, infiltrated into the universities, who are presenting the counter perspective, and who are who are um, planting these seeds to in the minds of the future influencers. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that. Ultimately, what we need is we need people of excellence. We need high status people yes. who have prevent who, who have presented lots of value to the world, who are known for that value, who are capable of shaping and molding the culture. And we need those people sharing these values. So someone going on Joe Rogan or Tim Pool is far more valuable than somebody going on the debate stage. Mm-hmm. Those, those shows are much more influential in the long run, especially with sustained presence, with sustained um, uh, uh, messaging. If you're getting lots and lots of people who are naturally winding up on these platforms and presenting their ideas there, this is going to do more to change the future trajectory of the world than um, getting the best messaging possible on into like the GOP and on the GOP debate stage. Even that wouldn't compare to what's happening through people um, developing personal excellence in their lives, whether it's through um, starting a company or creating a new platform or, um, or, or selling a lot of something, whatever you're doing to make a name for yourself, to develop a brand for yourself. If that gets you on these major influential platforms, that's the route that you can take to actually affecting a lot of this change. But you, and you can understand this. If you read this book, It'll, it'll detail to you the way that it was social pressures. Social pressures responding to environmental phenomena are what created the human political culture that we have today. Speaking on interesting people, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Um, most libertarians are not 
impressive at all. They're just not. And that's why I think it's one of the biggest problems with libertarians. I mean, you, you said one libertarians and like all, uh, all libertarians view is socially autistic and people who live in the woods like Juan Swanson. That's not what you want. <laughs> and no one, I think, exemplifies more the unimpressive liberty people. I'm going to say on my screen real quick, actually, because I want to show a picture of them. Uh, say a screen, say a screen. Um, Entires. Hold on. I can't wait to see who this is. No one exemplifies loser libertarians <laughs> than the pink grandma. Now, this is me, my maid, when she was complaining about Jason Stapleton wanting to maybe make money. Uh, I, oh, I absolutely fantastic. cannot stand to him. I actually, she blocked me because I made um, this one. Can't keep job at third rate party. That said, make more money, bro. <laughs> and last but not least, she finally well, blocked me after where to go. Oh, I can't find it. What was the first mm. one? The one with Jason in it? Uh, I feel bad for you. I don't, I don't think, think about, about you at all. <laughs> Which so is good. exactly exactly how I imagine that situation. Yeah, See, yeah exactly. You, yeah, I was talking to my friend uh, about it. Like, if, if Jason Stapleton walked up to you and Carol Ann Hollows walked up to you and said, I have a solution, who are you going to listen to? The, the grandma crackhead? I, I know grandmas in Florida who do mess. They look like her. Yep. <laughs> and then Jason Stapleton walks up like, this guy. This guy's got something. Right. Yes. But, uh, this is and- this is the whole message of wealth, power, and influence. <laughs> mm. Wealth, power, and influence are what run the world. We're not mm-hmm. saying that wealth, power, and influence should run the world, although I do believe that they should run the world. Yeah. We're I, saying I, this I is what does run the world. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change the world, you have to start with what the world actually is. You have to recognize that people follow impressive people. And yes. if your ideology is comprised of unimpressive people, in the eyes of other people, I mean, you, you got libertarians are the economists. They're the ones who supposedly mm-hmm. understand what subjective value is. If if in the eyes of other people, you are unimpressive, it doesn't matter how good your ideas are. It doesn't matter how principled you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter how, how, how many problems you can solve in theory. What people care about is what you can do for them now, today. Mm-hmm. Give me. Give me. You, you that's how that's so people's libertarians. So many libertarians read Ayn Rand and love Atlas Rug and the Fountainhead. You think they would adopt the lessons of actually like working on yourself, being selfish, and actually trying to succeed, and be like like they created Zorn's goats and Atlas Rug because they had the power to make Zorn's goats. They they completely missed that lesson. I mean, yes. I, they have it's 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 it's, it's insane. I am so new to this. How can I see this? And these people who have been in here for years since the Juan Paul days are winding off the most basic lessons of Atlas Shrugged, the book they wrote like a Bible. This it, is it's so what, it, what it reveals is the fact that the majority of libertarians, I, I'm confident that most libertarians, if they encountered Ancapistan, they would be the people in Ancapistan talking about how unjust private law is. They would be <laughs> complaining about the actual practical application of their ideology, because fundamentally most libertarians are leftists. So they are anti-hierarchy. This is why they, this is why they really like crazy when we talk about wealth, power, and influence, because Mm -hmm. fundamentally they hate power. They hate wealth because deep down they are liberals. They're liberals taken to their logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. This is the the realization I came to through doing this, the, the podcast I started doing and, and talking to people and, and, and going down the, the, the mold bug and, and uh, hop a route, the conclusion I came to is that 
these are all, whether it's communism, capitalism, conservatism, liberalism, libertarianism, all of these modern isms, fascism, mm -hmm. all of these modern isms are all variations of liberalism. And it's mm -hmm. liberalism at its heart that's <laughs> fundamentally flawed. Yes. Ultimately, I tweeted something about this earlier today. I said that, that, uh, that anarchism doesn't stand in opposition to democracy. It has... It, it's trying to purify democracy. It's trying to perfect mm. democracy by universal. It says it, it, it's based on human rights, right? So, so every single person is identified by their rights and nobody has the right to exercise political power over anyone else. What this means is that political power is a universal human right that everyone is, is has by dent of being human, every single person yeah should have an equal distribution of political power. They're communizing political power because is, it is communism. This is something I, I said a, a while ago and I said, um, <clears throat> when I was trying to convince people of uh, anarchism, back when I was, you know, stupid and tried to talk to people about things, <laughs> I, I've given up on that completely. People are not worth it. If I hop into a Twitter debate with you, that means you're really stupid. I'm going to make fun of you. That's the only reason <laughs> I I'm hopping that. to Twitter debate. <laughs> um, this is why I never touch Ace, because I actually respect Ace a lot. Like I, Anyone who can like, be that consistent, like him and Patrick Smith, I know you guys, post some tips, you guys are going at it, but people like that who are the scholars, who are going to teach you the principles, I think are invaluable, and I love mm -hmm. those kind of people. Um, no, I said people who, who really love democracy, and because I don't care about actually convincing them to correct, but I care about giving them to the end point. I said, well, if you like democracy, anarchism is just democracy given to everybody. It's it's pure democracy. Yes. Everyone has the power to make an influence. And I was, well, that's inconsistent because I'm arguing against democracy and not more democracy. So it can't be argued that way. But I, I was <laughs> on to it. Like, anarchism is, you don't like these. That's how I argue people about uh, anti-democracy all the time. Is say, I hate these new gas prices. So I hate these uh, minimum wage laws. I'm like, that's democracy. <laughs> yeah. You, you wanted the system, live with it. And the um, yeah. D democracy expresses itself in in anarchy because ultimately it's a it's a it's a leftist it's a leftist worldview which is which is fundamentally anti anti order anti hierarchy it's uh, anti borders it's all it's it's flattening it's egalitarian it's it's the elimination of distinctions between things and the, it's the distinctions between things that actually creates life without the distinction between anything like in, in the Bible at the beginning, it says uh, um, the earth was without form and void. Uh, and it, it talks about like the, the darkness is over the face of the deep, the, the, mm -hmm. the deep there that without form and void that's without order. It's completely mm -hmm. disordered, total chaos. There's it's, there's no life possible within that in order to have life. You have to bring something into order. Life is brought out of chaos. It's order drawn out of chaos. That's what life is. So, the, the the this urge to tear down to destroy to flatten to eliminate borders all of these are leftist instincts and they're mm. ultimately fundamentally antisocial because those borders are life that's where that's where life is found is in those borders is in those hierarchies hierarchy is completely natural and if you lived in ancapistan there would be someone in a position of hierarchical authority over you who would have unilateral say in what you could and could not do. This is the, the nature courts, of private, private property. Exactly. The private courts, the private, I mean, I love chaos, but Bob Murphy, 
And uh, the, the best argument against anarchism is that people don't want responsibility and anarchism is thrust responsibility on them. Yes. And I've tried to argue against that by saying things like, well, you're actually born with that responsibility. And so you actually, it's not um, forcing it on you, it's returning it. But when people are born and see the violence, they give it up and they don't want it back. Right. Yes. I don't They're going like to give it that. away to someone. Yeah. I don't like that about people, but I can't let truth about human nature blackpill me. You have to work right. with truth of human nature. Right. And right. Um, it's... So the book, one thing I like about the book, back to the book, is it, it zooms out. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm the kind of guy that likes to deconstruct things. Like I was arguing with a guy about, um, um, argument. We were discussing like, okay, how do you, and like, how do can you know evil if you live in the woods like Tarzan? If you're Tarzan, how do you know good, right from wrong? And I'm like, well, you don't develop a language, so how can you articulate it? And we deconstruct it like, well, if you have a negative gut feeling, let's say the Holy Spirit is saying that's bad, you might interpret that as well, these berries weren't good. But you also might interpret it as, oh, I did something bad and I caused the indigestion. So you develop your own personal language. So I like to deconstruct things down to the bottom level to try to figure out the truth. And Hopper zoomed out all the way to the beginning of everything. The sauce was like the Garden of Eden. And you leave the Garden of Eden, now everything sucks ass. And it's <laughs> it was great. I, I love reading the, the, the anecdotal stuff to talk to your friends about, about the, like, how dogs came into, like how dogs became a thing of the barking about the dog being useful. It was awesome. And it's, it's a really fun book. Uh, to my, I was talking to my mom about it. Like, this is a fun book. She's like, you're talking about cavemen and evolution and no one cares. I'm like, yeah, I care. I know. <laughs> I care, but no one really cares besides the cool people like me. This is one of those things that like, there's, there's going to be a natural elite. There's going to be the people who understand this type of thing and care about it and are able to act accordingly. And then there's going to be the majority of people who don't give a shit at all, who just, like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Tell me what I need to do and, and, and let's get on with it. So yeah. this is why, like, when I, with my show, I don't try to appeal to everybody. Steven and I, from a very early, early point, we're like, we explicitly want to drive people away from our show because we only want the elite people. We want the people who are capable, who are, who are intellectually agile enough and, and dedicated to the truth enough to be willing to, 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 to slay any sacred cows necessary, mm-hmm. to, to, to go through any dogma and get to the actual truth. And that's what, so that's what the, with this, this, uh, with the book, the way he goes to the very beginning and just reasons through using, using environmental data, um, using, uh, social data, social, like even just, you can kind of sit down and you can sort of reason through like the dynamics from at a, you know, a tribe that doesn't have any or institution of marriage. So everybody mm-hmm. is just kind of screwing everybody and it's cranking out babies like crazy yeah, and eventually, you know, we're a nomadic tribe that we're having to move around, and we're finding we we get to a place, and we're just there's not enough resources here for everybody to all mm-hmm. be sustained right now. <clears throat> so what we're going to do in order to control the ratio of the resources to the people is we're going to make you responsible for the children that you created. Mm-hmm. So if you bring a child into the world, you two together, it's up to you to take care of them. And then yeah. from there, you get that you also have this asymmetry between men and women, where if a man cheats on the woman, he doesn't introduce. And this is where it's get, it'll get controversial because I'm going to say this quickly and he takes a long time to, to explain mm-hmm. it all. But bluntly, if a man cheats on a woman, it's different than if a woman treat, cheats on a man. If yeah. you're in a nomadic um, hunter gatherer type society or a subsistence level society, because if the woman gets pregnant with another man, and brings that baby back and and she could plausibly sell him off as the son of 
the or the the child of her husband. Now her husband is obligated to care for another man's child without knowing yeah. about it. You can't get that the other way around. A guy can't go get a woman pregnant and bring the baby back to his wife and say, actually, this is your baby. Obviously, that doesn't work. Mm. So f- from these sorts of, of just, uh, I don't know what you would call it, just like environmental factors, social institutions evolve. They evolve yeah. out of those environmental factors. So you get mono- not only marriage, but monogamous marriage. Mm-hmm. And the, the first time I listened to this, I remember exactly where I was when I listened to the part I'm about to mention. I was driving down through Hermosa Beach, west of L.A., driving down, going to meet a friend for dinner. And I'm listening to this part of the podcast or the part of the, the audiobook, where he details how private property, the concept of private property and marriage, monogamous marriage, both evolved at the same time for the same reasons. They both evolved as a means of managing population growth and um, cr- and facilitating efficient management of resources. And so then he also pointed out then that the in the 18, 18 1900s, the Marxists also happened to be radical sexual revolutionaries as well because they were mm-hmm. attempting to deconstruct private property and deconstruct the nuclear family, monogamy, yeah. these other. So sexual degeneracy and economic degeneracy go hand in hand mm-hmm. that you can't take them apart from each other. <coughs> They're part of the same natural incentive structure. That was the. That that one realization there is the biggest takeaway that I had from the book each time I've read it. That yeah. dynamic, recognizing that, that was one of the things that that really pushed me to, let's say, a more traditional, a more trad uh, conceptualization of sexual relations. It's that mm-hmm. realization that that the nature of human society is such that if you want to have a property, a private property rights based society that's not economically profligate, you can't have sexual profligacy as well. You have to have sexual responsibility in order to have economic responsibility. Yes, yeah. And I know the libertarians are going to listen to this, and they're going to be like, well, actually, you can have, like, um, social structures that, like, say it's bad, but you don't have to outlaw it or anything like that. I agree. I do agree. I, I, apply the Aquinas, I, I apply the Aquinas principle to every law. And the Aquinas principle, it's not Cardis, but it's what I, I, I taught it. Cardis is... Um, What's more harmful? Pulling a talking about prostitution, Aquinas. Yeah, people are gonna sin. That's human nature. What's more sinful is accepting human nature and then putting a sword on those who do wrong, or making it so that we can incentivize them not to be bad and make them mm. better. Mm-hmm. And that's the Aquinas principle. And I, I think that's very libertarian. That's very that's a way to make things better. But at the um at the end of the day, I sadly so many people don't think about right and wrong, they think about legal and illegal. Yes. And I, I really, as my, if I could say anything about, about society, that'd be the one thing I'd say. Is I would draw a distinction between legal and moral. And right. I abs- it's so frustrating. I talk, I talk to people and I'm like, uh, I'm into like Delta 8. And they're like, oh, isn't weed illegal? I'm like, it's not illegal. But like, but it, but it's, it should be illegal. I'm like, but it's not. And I'm like, they don't, they don't, they can't draw distinctions. Like, I was talking to somebody and they're like, Christians would always follow the law. And anyone who, any Christian who's followed the law is sitting in the ask for forgiveness. It's like, even the Christians who freed the slaves. Cause that was against the law and they're like yeah even them <laughs> and it's like no no i'm not gonna agree with you on that one um yeah it, it, it is a frustrating fact of human nature that these people they can't think about more morality they have to think about legality it's uh, there was a specific tweet here that's related to what we're talking about something hmm. i said recently and i'm trying to remember exactly how i phrased it but i might just have to 
might just have to go with uh, go off the dome. The 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 point that I I was making is that you can't separate advocating for you, you can't separate advocating for something to be legal from advocating for something to be good. If you're advocating for it to be legal, it's going to be practically the the, the practical impact of you doing that is going to be the same as someone who's advocating for it to be good. Yeah. yeah so I saw that tweet. I, I, it, it, I commented, it, a lot of I commented on it. Yeah, did I commented you, what did you on say? it. And I, I said, uh, I somewhat agree. I do. I think that is sadly how it is. I commented about how um, people d- view law and leg- legality and morality are the same. And that yeah. before you could change any law, you'd have to change the culture around the law because politics is not the culture. Right. And so before you could change any law that makes things legal, like if you legalize heroin right now, people are, it's weird because like if you legalize heroin right now, there are going to be people who go, well, it's, must be, it's legal. The government ain't going to let me do something bad, so it might be okay. And the other half people think, well, it was illegal, and therefore my culture is, is uh, intrinsically just against it. I don't know why. And I'm not sure which one is more prevalent. The people who are saying, well, the government won't let me do something bad for me. You know? I mean, my problem is people that are these, I call them passive consumers. They never complain about anything when it comes to business because the government won't let businesses rob you. You know, they have that like really naive view. And they have the same thing applied to laws. And so that's kind of the, the problem, I think, with legalizing things before a culture changes. Right. But thankfully, you couldn't change that without changing the culture first. So it's a new point. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the biggest takeaway is that is that if you change the culture, then you don't have to worry about the other part. Like the yeah, and and changing the culture is such a such a a, a massive task that this is like this is fiddling around the edges. Ultimately, mm-hmm. the way I found the tweet, I said advocating that something should be legal is in effect. It's an important word that like everybody who freaked out about it, they didn't get that. I said it is in effect advocating that it should be socially acceptable. So the libertarian libertine dichotomy is ultimately a distinction without a difference. Yeah, this, that's sad. This is because of the way that that people respond to it. So mm-hmm. the the person who is advocating for um um what's something that we can that we can use just so say uh um just for whatever, we'll just use gay marriage. So the person who's advocating for gay marriage because they want to have gay marriage and everything that comes with it, then if you have someone who's like, well, I don't support gay marriage, but I don't think it should be illegal. And so I'm going to advocate that it not be legal. Your effect on the conversation is exactly the same as the person Mm -hmm. who says, I support gay marriage and I want it to be legal. Those, and, and you can apply this to anything. To absolutely anything. I used gay marriage because it's controversial, but you can you can apply it to anything. If you're advocating that something should be legal, mm-hmm. you are in effect advocating that it yeah. should be socially acceptable. Your end point is the it. same. Right, yeah. right. Because that's it, how it's going to be taken by other people. Yeah, and that is, that's something libertarians, because they don't talk to people, get that people don't care what your intentions are to care what your outcomes are. Exactly. And that is, you know, I think most of them can't hold a job. <laughs> They don't get yeah. that. Like you can have all the great <laughs> intentions at work, but if you have a terrible outcome, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. And because they can't this hold is, up, they don't get it. I've been trying to figure out how to phrase this, how to put this like, concisely into a tweet. Mm-hmm. But there's this. So, so my first big real red pill on a lot of this was that when I realized that libertarianism is the it's the end. Like what the the, the mm-hmm. world, like and Capistan <laughs> is the goal. Like we're trying to. <laughs> We're trying mm-hmm. to get to Ancapistan. That's the that's the end. But you don't get to Ancapistan by acting like you live in Ancapistan already. There has to be a different means. So you can't you can't 
act according to the principles of anarchy and expect to wind up in a society that that was designed by anarchists that just the, the the it doesn't work that way so mm. there's there's this kind of irony i guess where that's the case like libertarian like ancapistan is the goal but then libertarians have turned the pursuit of liberty into a or they've turned libertarianism into a means that it's that it's all about yeah. how you act it's not about the actual effects of your actions it's not about the ends it's about your intentions. So, you know, if your intention is for um to to respect private property rights, well then if Ron DeSantis passes a, a law banning vaccine passports in grocery stores, for example, then you're going to say, "Oh, no, 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 yeah, we, we don't support that. We have to argue against that." Well, this is that same thing again. If you're arguing mm -hmm. against it, you are effectively arguing for vaccine passports in grocery stores. And the effect of that is a society that's moved even further away from your mm -hmm. idealized society. So yeah. are you going to judge yourself based on the intentions of your actions, or are you going to judge yourself based on the effects of your actions? There's only one that you can, there's only one of those that you can choose that will allow you to actually claim that you're a principled person. I, I know there's a script of us somewhere on that. And I can, I, I, it's like, I can, I can see it in my mind, but I can't, I know. I noticed. I'm gonna look at it later because I noticed something about like intentions in the Bible about um. Oh, it's gonna bug me. I'm gonna find a point in the description. Yeah, because it's gonna. I noticed one because I've heard it said to me multiple times, and I, I ugh, it's gonna bug me. Um, well, we've gone through a lot of stuff in my. I had a list of things I want to talk about in this. Uh, let's see. Uh, when it comes to the, the the book, really is incredible, people. If you haven't if you haven't read it or listened to it, I mean, it's a very small book, and the best part of the book is it's already a separate book, and it's on Audible, and it's like what two hours, three hours long. It's about three hours long, yeah. Yeah, put on times two speed, hour and forty five minutes, hour and thirty minutes later, you finished a great book, and it's a very easy to read on that on times two. Yeah, because the the guy who reads it reads slow. <sighs> I can't do one point one speed anymore. One point zero. Me neither. I can't do it. It's uh, it's. I, I have a problem now. I'm doing a podcast. I'm like, I just, I just, I just call one, I just call one on. I'm so used to seeing the call one at times two speed. Then when he's talking to me, I'm like, why is he talking so slow? Is he high? <laughs> <laughs> I realize, oh, it's, I can't times two speed reality. I'm not the guy from Click with the Universal Remote. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great movie, by the way. It, oh. That's a that's one of a couple of movies where Adam Sandler has made me cry. That one, Uncut Zims, and that's really good. I, I haven't seen that one. Very, very good. It's yeah, got click, uh, Don Cheadle in it. Click scared the hell out of me. The Anzu of Death revealed when I, I I watched it when I was young or something. I remember young, but like I don't like horror movies. And some mm -hmm. it's not a horror film. I get scared easily, so I don't watch a lot of things. Um, but yeah, like, like I'm the Anzu of Death. I'm like, mm -mm, mm, I don't like that. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't like that. This is walking already scares the hell out of me. <laughs> nope, don't like that. <laughs> it's oh, that movie. I bored like a baby. Great movie. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about families because there's so many libertarians I don't think get. This is going to turn into a libertarians episode. Why is it when you come on, I always end up sitting on libertarians? I so like these guys. I'm friends with most of them. Yeah. yeah, this is all, all of this is born out of a desire for libertarians to be better. So it's mm -hmm. like we're, 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 <coughs> we're, we're tearing down so that you could build yourselves back up again. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. We're, we're yeah. identifying the flaws that you have as a libertarian. 
so that you can address them yourselves to make yourself an even better libertarian. At least that's mm -hmm. my goal. Yeah. I don't have a goal. I just, I like to shit on people. <laughs> Except for Thomas DeLorenzo. If, if any one of my podcasters on Thomas DeLorenzo, I'm kicking you off the stream. Like, this is, <laughs> this is a, like, Thomas DeLorenzo and so busy with Spectre in this household. These are the people who do not get shit on. Um, Caleb's oh, a simple man. He's got one principle. If you shit on Thomas DeLorenzo, you're off his podcast. That's very simple. That and so piss up. I do not tolerate disrespect mm -hmm. to these kings. Oh, we got Jose in the chat. Great book. Love Hopper when he delivers it. That was in the history. I do too. I'm, I'm walking through my way, my way through Democracy to God that failed because I got Zayod coming on to talk about it uh, Saturday. And it is... I can't believe I at one point liked Democracy. Yeah. I, I, it's still cringe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I get so. This I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Um, conservatives, you say we don't live in a democracy. We live in a constitutional republic. Are the worst kind of people on the planet. <laughs> I put you up there as journalists and teachers. You are useless <laughs> to me as an individual. And I remember I was on Facebook and I said, um, "A constitutional republic is democracy and bad and a, bad, a cheap dress and a bad lipstick." Hmm. Yeah. And my my youth pastor cop commented saying, uh, "But kid, we actually don't live in a democracy. The constitutional republic." And at the same time, Biden was doing his like live stream, saying all. When he became president, he became president. He said all democracy, and I said it and said at, at, I added him and I said, um, "I'm sorry, but I saw lived in a constitutional republic. Has someone informed Biden on this point yet?" <laughs> Bingo. It's it. Oh, that's it's the, that's so the cringe. that's the uh, if you if you if you read the uh, the Machiavellians, you'll mm -hmm. you will understand what I mean when I talk about the difference between the real meaning of something and the formal meaning of something. Formally, yes. we live in a constitutional republic. In reality, we live in a democracy. And in reality, a constitutional republic is just a form of democracy. This is where people... Back to the libertarians. I have <laughs> this... There's a. It's extremely exasperating for people to sell themselves as this extremely erudite, like, we're the most um, awakened enlightened folks when their definition of left versus right is like Democrats versus Republicans. If that's like you, you're, you're operating entirely within a, the construct of a, dem, a democratic system, which the system, the whole system itself from its furthest left end to its furthest right end is all on the furthest left end of the, of all possible, yeah. possible political systems. Yeah. So if you are a far right constitutional conservative, you are a leftist. That's mm -hmm. that's the reality. I'm not I'm not advocating yeah. for this reality. I'm describing it. Yeah, I want to draw a parallel to the Matrix because everyone loves that movie. Um, in the Matrix, people think, "Oh, well, there's the red pill and the blue pill. The red pill wakes you up, and for this purpose, to say red pill is, is uh, Republicanism, blue pill is Democrats." People think the red pill is waking you up to reality, and now you are seeing reality for what it is, and you are going to attack the system. And a lot of people, when they take the red pill, like Michael knows that the whole podcast on the red pill, and he basically just avoided down the blue pill is Democrats, red pill is Republicanism. And uh, one of the series about the Matrix is that there's actually two matrices. There's the Matrix of those who don't want to combat life; they want to breeze through life, and that's the one they go into. And the second Matrix is the one people have to have a conflict, and the red pill puts them in the second Matrix. So they're still all inside the system. That explains mm. how Neo can use his powers against the aliens in the weird world. It's actually the secondary system. And a lot of people who take the red pill think that I'm going to fight the system. You're walking inside the system to fight the system. Yes. You're not actually combating anything. You're playing the role they set up for you. The system depends upon having people within the system to fight the mm -hmm. system. Yes. 
And that is what the, uh, that's my theory of the Matrix is that it's actually two matrices, and you're that's not outside brilliant. the real world at all. And I, it really it comports well with the, the, the Republican types who think I'm the outsider. I'm Candace Owens is a dissident. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like these are not Wedfield people. I, I had a tweet the other day that um, the empiricist, uh, positive people who, who rely on numbers, they think they're comporting to reality because they're going to rely on all the numbers, but they're not understanding the stats and numbers are designed by those already in power. The colorblind, yeah. popping blue pills, singing the red. Ooh, and that's good. Thank you, thank you. It got no traction, sadly. It bugged me. That's, the algorithm's a bitch. It really is. I guess I have these really bangled tweets at 2.30 in the morning. They never pop up anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, that's my new saying. I am a wet-ass pussy pill. <laughs> I am wet pill. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm adding that to my bio after this podcast. <laughs> wet pill. Ugh. Um, one of the things I really love about this book is that this is my big one of my big takeaways from reading Anatomy of the State by Mary Rothbard was the point about intellectuals providing the framework for the state to justify its existence. And Hopper delves into that, and I feel like Curtis Yarvin finishes that. Yeah. You know, like they really like I I feel like I don't understand it, but I get it. You know, yeah. I get okay, intellectuals are the same. Like the these people that you look up to aren't impressive, but they are in control. And that makes right. them impressive. Right. By like they they're the ones who define it. Because you don't have a definition for like for powerful without them, like they, they are the definition of power in the society. I, I, that's just what that's what it is. And if you want to do something about it, you have to be able to first accept what what is real. You have to mm-hmm. accept what is real in order to 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 move toward something better. Yeah, yeah. It <sighs> libertarians. You you were bringing what? up family. That was that was an oh. interesting angle. Yeah, family. I want to talk about uh. Family structures. Um, I, I listened to a podcast recently from uh, Scott Hahn. He's a uh, Catholic theologian, probably the greatest living theologian. I am obsessed with Scott Hahn. Um, he has a book on the uh, how the Bible became a secular book. And it's about how Ooh. when you take the Bible into Protestant and Protestant and Reformation took the Bible and they applied reason to it and they put the Bible in universities and how through applying reason, the Bible became a secular book and how it's been used to justify a lot of evils. Is, he's, he's incredible. And it, it, what, nobody what, what book should I read? From Scott Hahn? Um, yeah. I'm going through um, Angels and Saints. It's a book all about the angels and saints and how they permeate around you and stuff. And now you can talk to them. It's really good. Um, oh, there's so many good I have I have a list. I can get my list on Amazon up because I have a sort list of all his books, best books. What's the one that you were just talking about? The... Uh, yeah. Let me see if I can find it on my, on my list. I never, I never use Amazon on my computer. I have no idea where the list are. Here it is. Um, why is this so hard to use? Man, this guy's uh, prolific. Yeah. Oh my god, sixty-three books. I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It. Uh, here, here it comes. Here it comes. I'm gonna find it any minute. Um. Where did it go? Hope to die. Anyway, nope. Uh, okay, so there's two. There is sorry. There's, there's three. He has three books. There's modern Bible criticism as a tool of statecraft, 1700 to 1990, the 1900s, politicizing the Bible, uh, the roots of historical criticism in the secularization of Scripture, uh, 1300 to 1700s. Um, there are the two books you can read. It's the kind of like the deep dive, and then there's the the decline and fall of sacred scripture. How the Bible became a secular book. Uh, it's yeah, he's he's great. Um, 
and he did a podcast talking about family structures and now he has four sons and all of them joined the priesthood wow um so you know he's like and like he's got a good family structure he said it's yeah. the weirdest thing calling his son's father <laughs> That's that's really there's a like throughout the Bible there's this, this the pattern of fathers who were like great men who great men of God whose sons were just absolutely uh, a catastrophe. Yeah. The 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 most uh I'd, I'd like the the most iconic one perhaps would be um uh was it Eli the priest Eli with mm. um with uh, with Samuel and and his sons were were just like completely corrupt and and uh, and and bad. This there's there's this strange thing about I, like I don't know why that is. I, I've never understood why that is. I guess it's a little bit of a departure from the conversation, but I've never understood how you would have great men of God whose sons would be like yeah. a complete departure from that. Why do pastors' kids always end up being divorced? Yeah, like I can't. I like, I think it's like after a battle against something. And so when you when you have a guy raises you in a very who was it? Uh, Adam Patrick's dad said, the reason I raised you Catholic so you have someone to rebel against instead of me. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is the problem. The kids want to rebel against something. And when the kids raise in the church, they're going to rebel against you and the church. True. So like if you're um, going to, if you're, if you don't raise your kids in the church at all, then they don't have any reason to rebel against the church. But if you yeah. do, then they're going to rebel against something and likely they're going to rebel against the church. And yeah. further, I would argue that being the, the, because of the power of generational, belief systems like passing if you if you are if you share a belief system with your parents and if your parents share a belief system with the, the same with their parents there's a mm -hmm. tremendous amount of power in that accumulation from generation to generation so my yeah. guess would be that the children of religious leaders are targeted even more by forces of mm -hmm. evil who are attempting to corrupt them that would be my I, theory. I can see that i i've heard some stories my um my old pastor his son's a pastor now and he uh, talked about how the day he gave up alcohol, he walked out to his truck and he was like 24 hours after giving it up and he was having like withdrawal problems. And there's a truck in front of him. The truck drove off and in the, in the, uh, on the floor was an ice cold beer just sitting there. That fell out of the cool. And um, he almost drank it. And he saw it. I was like, no, this is probably not of this. This is not of this. is not this is here by someone's power. Yeah. And I have no, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. He's a great guy. We have all disagreements. I, uh, my left the church, I emailed him. We had a huge debate. Because hmm. I, I never leave anything in peace. <laughs> That's my biggest goal. <laughs> I never leave anything peaceful. I will wrap up every interaction, letting out how I. Like, you know what I mean? When like, a guy quits his job, he's like, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you." That's what I leave. <laughs> I will leave every group like that guy. And that's a that's my own problems. But um, Scott Hall was talking about a family structure, and um, he was talking about him and his wife have a. His him and his wife's also very smart. They write books together, which is kind of fun. Uh, hmm. It's a book, Rome Street Home. It's about his journey back to Catholicism. And him and his wife write the book, Diezo, and it's really good. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, I love Scott Hahn. But he talked about how his wife came up from work one day, and his wife was saying, uh, so I put in a transfer for a new location. It's like, well, why did you do that? I saw you loved your job. I did. I saw you loved your co-worker. I can't remember the guy's name, so I'm going to say it was Matt. Uh, I saw you loved the co-worker, Matt. I did. A little too much. And, like, they're just that open with each other about, like, their relationship with their coworkers. Wow! And he had to be like, maybe I should reassess who I'm working with. And he had to end up moving, moving too. Interesting! Like, wow! These are the the amazing. They are so amazing. Um, yeah. If you, anyone listening, go read Scott Hahn. 
even if you're not Catholic, the, the amount of lessons he this man has, and he he talks like an old man, where every five sentences is some symbolism or some uh, old saying, and so it really feels like like if you imagine what a bishop or a church father would sound like, you imagine this guy's voice and the way mm. he talks. Like he imports everything to like some old saying. Like wow, I get it, I get it now. It's I'm looking forward to reading some of these books because that's yeah. that's like the one well, I. One of them I just came across here that I really want to read is Kingdom of God as Liturgical Empire, a theological commentary on First and Second Chronicles. That sounds that's good. that's one. That's what I think I, I might start with that one. Yeah, he um he has a big thing on covenant theology about reading the old into the new. Hmm. And it's absolutely incredible. Like um Jesus is a new Adam, Eve uh, Mary's a new Eve, and mother of all. And mm-hmm. like, you can read the old into the new, and the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament prophecies, and you can read it as one whole story, and it is mind blowing. I've been Get listening part- to Lord of Spirits, the mm-hmm. uh, the the Orthodox uh, podcast, because I've I've just been becoming. I grew up um, like very very Protestant, and mm-hmm. so I've just been starting to get to know some of the older traditions, and uh, I've been really getting into into Eastern Orthodoxy and, and trying to understand their perspective. One of my favorite things about Eastern Orthodoxy is that they tend to be much less either or and very yeah. much. Yes. Both. And yeah, There's, I like that about but, them. That, yeah. But the, uh, um, what was I going to say? The, what were you just, t- Oh, the old covenant and the new covenant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, uh, so another because I started listening to that podcast, I started listening to, um, one of the hosts of Lord of spirits, uh, has a podcast called the whole council of God. Um, with Father Stephen DeYoung, and he just goes. It's a it's like a weekly Bible study that he does for an hour, where he literally just goes verse by verse through the Bible. And the first time when the podcast when they started posting the podcast in 2017 or whatever, it was with the start of Luke. So I'm like, I think I'm probably halfway through the book of Luke now. But that's a perspective that that uh, the this idea of the the new covenant being a a, a reflection or a parallel or a, or a, mm-hmm. or a fulfillment of the old covenant. That's something that, that I've never, I've never encountered that anywhere in any Protestant yeah. theology, but w- through that lens, you realize that like we have this tendency within modern Christianity to look back at say like, like Israel. And we're mm-hmm. like, that was a different people group. That was a different, you know, that's like, it, we, we have a, a, a them versus us kind of mm-hmm. perspective but through this lens, we are Israel. Like we're, mm. it's, it's that, that group is where it began and it has expanded to include us today. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're a continuation of that tradition. Christianity was not a new religion born mm. out of what came before. It was a, a continuation of it. It was an, an, an um, Jesus a, a was a Jew. Upon it. He was a Jew and he founded, I believe he founded a Catholic church to claim Peter this rock. And so there was a straight line through Judaism and Israel to the birth of Jesus, to his founding of the Catholic Church upon Peter, and it continues from there. There is yeah. one sad history, and people don't like that. I don't. They really don't like Protestants. Really don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> and I think um, it's beautiful. Like I, that, that to me makes me feel. It, it just makes everything else feel so much more real to me. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I agree. Let's talk about Protestantism a little bit because I um. I had this point with Adam, Adam Patrick on my show, who I, I love Adam Pat. I love Adam. He's a great guy. He is guy. a great dude. Like, that is a friendly guy, and I would love to get him on again just to talk, because I we talk about the Bible. And I, I plan to go for 30 minutes. We went for, like, an hour. It was um, – <laughs> we talked about, like, Protestantism. My, my issue with Protestantism is I feel like it's all born out of hubris. 
Yeah. All of Protestantism is born out of arrogance. It came from two guys saying, nope, all of history is wrong. I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> and if you look at how the Catholic Church has their uh, stage set up versus the Protestant Church, the Catholic Church has the center, the tabernacle, and the Eucharist. So we believe the center is literally Jesus Christ trans- uh, transformed into the blood, uh, the, the sacred blood and the uh, bread. That is literally Christ right there. That is our belief. He embodies those uh, both spirits. And you look at a Protestant church, what's in the center? The pulpit. The mm-hmm. center is the dude. And now we have a habit of people saying, well, I didn't agree with him, so I went to a new church. I'm sorry, who are you to get to decide what is true? Yes. This is, it's all built on arrogance. And that's my biggest problem with Protestant, Protestantism as a whole, is that everything is built about well, how do I subjectively define everything because I am the own arbiter of truth here. Yes. And I know, I know I'm too stupid to do that. That's why I have the Catholic Church and I have the Church Fathers, Augustine, Aquinas, and these people. I know I'm too stupid to do it. They're there for me to lean on. Like, there's, why, do you, why do you think that is, though? There is a there's a really fascinating parallel here. And I can't remember if we talked about this last time I was on the show. This was a, a, a major aha moment for me when I saw this parallel. I was I was reasoning back through I was I was I was starting to kind of take the king pill <laughs> and starting to see the validity of monarchy and so I'm like okay well if monarchy is actually as good as it you know if, if it has so many positive aspects to it why why has it been so maligned so I need to go back I need to go back through history and try to understand what was real cuz clearly I've gotten a I've gotten a fake history and mm-hmm. I started seeing this parallel where it's like you have a single church and then there's a split from the church. And then there's a split from the split. And then there's a split from the split from the split. And this continues. This There's a decentralization process happening within Christianity. And it was actually Moldbug who first like tipped me off to this, where he, he pointed out that modern American progressivism, or what he calls universalism, is, in a literal sense, a secular denomination of Protestantism. It's a It's a... Um, it's, if you imagine the Reformation continued and continued and continued, the Reformation just became the so-called Enlightenment, mm-hmm. and from there, through the process, <laughs> through, through the through the Enlightenment and the glorification of human reason, the Reformation mm-hmm. just reformed Christ out of the church and replaced it with the self, with the human self, the idealized yes. human individual. When I when I recognized that, I was like, wait a second, there's this decentralization trend happening in parallel between the church and the state at the same time. They're both decentralizing. So Protestantism, this, like what you said, like I am the arbiter of truth. My relationship with God is one-on-one. I can pick up the Bible and automatically just understand everything there because the Holy Spirit and that, that, that Protestant belief parallels to radical anarchism, which is mm. it's this radical individualism where it's like, maybe the parallel would be like the constitution. Like, all I need is my own constitution. I'm my own government. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm my own church or I'm my own government. Anarchism and Protestantism are two, they're like two peas in the same pod. Mm-hmm. And that big realization was what um, led me to believe, or I guess to accept that politics and religion are ultimately the same thing. They're, it's ultimately the same, like the same software program running on on our operating system it's just expressing itself through different avenues and and really once you, once i realized that it was kind of obvious it's kind of like well politics is always going to be dealing in the realm of morality so it's always going to yeah. be directed by a church it's always going to be inextricable from the church the whole idea of separation of church and state is oh, it's actually really a, dangerous 
yeah, I have a lot to say on that. My my thing, one of my uh, real quick before we move on to that is um, yeah. a quote you would like us think, and it's uh, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant by John Henry Newman. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, good. Yeah. That's good. He he was good. He was great. Um, no, it starts his name down to him. That's and he's recent too. That's how good he is. Um, no, my my, my problem is like the biggest problem with separation of church and state is that the church was the intellectual class. Like the, the churches were the intellectual people. And the church, because they were in the people, and the, the government is dependent on intellectuals to keep themselves in power, they had to be somehow beholden to the church, and the church could keep them acting in more fashion. But along the 20th century, you had this um, Rand called the Tiller and the Witch Doctor. You're always going to have the Witch Doctor, you're always going to have the uh, political leader and the person who is religion for it. And for the longest time, that was the church and the state. And the church kept the state from doing some, I mean, it did some bad things, but as it evolved, it kept the state from doing really bad things, they had to justify it. The Pope could say no, like literally, they had the um, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, just war theory, they could justify mm-hmm. a war, that, that's the power the church has. And the intellectual class switched from being the uh, church to being the college teachers, the intellectuals, which is why the new Pope is um, Woodrow Wilson, uh, he became president mm-hmm. and he was the intellectual, he was a professor, he was the new Pope of uh, progressivism. And in the 20th century, you had the switch of being that church was the guy who justified the state to being these intellectuals. And it's all been downhill from there. Yeah. It, yeah. And, I, just, and that process, I would say that process began um, centuries before that even, but that's mm-hmm. when it like, when it really came into its own. And then ever yeah. since then um, it's been, it's kind of like the war was won. And so now it's a matter of going around and mopping up all of the, all of the, 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 the little holdouts. Cause we're moving into an era where, uh, there is where the church and the state are becoming, <coughs> they're becoming like explicitly joined together. And it's a new mm-hmm. church. It's a new church, a church with a new doctrine mm-hmm. and, and existing churches. You even see this with the, with the, with the, the, act, the actual Pope today, all of these different religious leaders are all vowing their support and the support of their churches to this new religion, this new humanist religion. And, and I, I mean, it seems like the Bible's pretty clear that something like this was going to happen and that there was a specific name for that religion that, uh, <laughs> that, that we're, we're basically, we're seeing prophecy fulfilled. Yes. And it's so, so to, to a degree, like I've said to be provocatively before, I've said that the enlightenment was a mistake. It and, is. Uh, I, I completely agree. It, Norman, yeah. Norman Garnet thought so. And he was awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 That was, that was fantastic when I first saw that. Um, yeah. So so yeah, it was a mistake. Um, but at the same time, it was also inevitable. This is kind of, this is just, this is a pattern. This is a cycle of history. This, this yeah. was always going to happen. We were always going to get to this point because mm-hmm. ultimately people just follow their incentives. And if you understood all of the incentives, if you understood everything that's affecting people, you would be able to predict exactly what's going to happen yeah. to, to have, to have perfect vision of the future just requires having a perfect understanding of every incentive that's at play. And obviously it's, it's pretty hard to get to a perfect understanding of every incentive, but you can get close. You can get to that's a lot reason, of them. That's the only reason God can predict things because he's omnipresent. Right. You know, right. He, he understands all the incentives. Yeah. Yeah. He gets it. Um, speaking of churches, I'm going to say this real quick because uh, this is remind me, you mentioned the church and the new religion thing. So I had to say this. To play ball so we could go and dance. Mama said that it was okay. Mama said that it was fine. Right. 
<sighs> Do you see that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thankfully, we talking I, about I, degeneracy. Yes, uh, I said this, and I said, um, "Well, Lizzie is dying, and Sally, it seems to deserve it." <laughs> That's great. That's very good. Yeah, and uh, my friend Rob, who's great, it deserves the die. I said, "Let's hope it's resurrection. Only takes three days." <laughs> <laughs> but then Stokesup came in. This is an example of what is in dying. It's an example of one what is in being replaced with another. Yeah. God, I, God, I love so. Yeah. Uh, every time I get a little black pill, he pops in my feed. It's like, I got you. I know the, he's not doing deliberate. He just does it. And here's the thing. Here's the thing from, from the Christian perspective. Like I said, this has all been <laughs> predicted. This is this has been foretold that this was going to happen, that the church was going to fall apart. The church was going to fail. It was going to be, be replaced. But the battle is already won. All of this is all just deck chairs being rearranged on the surface. The battle has already been won. Ultimately, the gospel, this is something I've taken away from that Lord of Spirits podcast. That's just, just, just brilliant. Um, there's a, a a book actually from one of the, one of the fathers on the podcast. He just released, it's called, it's, it's Father Andrew Stephen Damick. And I think it's called Arise, O God. Just look up Father Andrew Stephen Damick and it's his most recent book. Um, what, what he points out in the book is that a gospel, the word gospel is not original to Christianity. A gospel was actually a, a, a word that was used, that was well known in um, within the Roman Empire. And what it was, was a message that a war has been won. And this, this guy who's coming won the war and here's what he expects of you. Here's what's going to happen. Here's your responsibility. Here's your duty based upon this war that has just been won. So the gospel is actually a declaration of military victory. And, well, you know, if you understand the, the battle with powers and principalities, that this is a, this is spiritual warfare. What we're seeing is, is it's almost like a movie where it's like at the last, like things get really, really dark. And it seems like, oh, everything, everyone's down and out. And, um, you know, the battle is lost and all the bad guys are winning and everything's going well for them. And, you know, all hope is lost. And at the last minute, whew, you know, there's there's the the um, yeah now the magic. over the top with the uh, why does the Rohan ready to ride the yes. behind them? That's absolutely scene. yeah. That's exactly. I mean, that's that's what's been <coughs> what happened. What's happening right now was foretold, and what you just described was also foretold. Yeah. That once it got when it got dark enough, that's when the when mm. when Gandalf would come over the hill with the light yeah. behind him, and yeah, there's so much symbolism in Lord of the Rings. I'm going. I'm going. I'm reading the books for the first time. God, I'm blown away. The, so the, the guy I just okay. mentioned, Father Andrew Stephen Damick, who, mm -hmm. who wrote that book, he also has a second podcast. He's got multiple podcasts, but one of his other podcasts is called Amon Sewell. And it's a, uh, I haven't listened to it, but it's uh, a Lord of the Rings centric Orthodox podcast. Nice. nice. <sighs> we are running out of time, sadly. Let's, um, let's bounce back to the book a little bit. Mm-hmm. The like one thing I like about Hopper is he really dives into the economics incentives. Like we talked about earlier, with the family structure and private property. They were we, you could reason out economic incentives to go with those. And I don't believe I don't believe Hopper is religious. You know if he's I don't believe, I believe he's an atheist, right? I can't. I would guess. I know that his yeah. his wife might be. I'm not sure. Yeah. What is what's libertarian people marrying Christian wives? Walter Block, Mary Rothbard, Mises, Hopper, all devout atheists. But all married Christian wives. <laughs> That's very interesting. I can't. 
I mean, people have been saying you, you know, just you know, the half, you know, the idea that Plato had in this and the symposium was that you know, your two halves of a whole trying to find is a half to be together. And maybe because so many people know the missing religious component of their life, they freeze it out for it to their wives and they have to last on to it. Yeah. Um, the Jesus, the Jesus the, the is decent. You know, when somebody, if they're in a coma, they have someone to play for them. That's what it is. Yeah. The Jesus is yeah. 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 I like that. Um, but I feel like if a hopper was religious, I feel like I would I would love nothing more than for Hopper to be like a Catholic guy, and when he dies in the economic incentives, to parry that parry that with religious talk, you know. That's, yeah. what, I, that's, what, I, that's what I'm trying to do when I read Hopper. I feel, okay, here's the here's the that's why I read Rand a lot. Like Rand and Libertarians, they read through natural reasoning, they read the truths, and Jesus has stated the truths. Like my favorite example of this is um, Ayn Rand says, "Before you can say I love you, you have to say the I." Mm. It's to love yourself before you love other people. Jesus said, "Love your neighbors as yourself." You have to take care yes. of yourself before you take care of other people. So, when yes. we truths in the same way, Jesus stated the truths, and he reads the true pure reason. That's why I respect Rand. And that's why that's libertarian is, is Christianity without Christ, but also the smartest people on the planet, and they've reached the truths. You know, the nap is love your neighbor. You know, they they mm -hmm. reached it. This is why this really is. You're, you're right when you say uh, libertarian Christianity without Christ. Um, it's because I think that libertarians, I think their perspective is they're missing the the love your neighbor part it's like their focus is that um that everyone should be loved by their neighbor is kind of how they how they're framing it and and no you have to love your neighbor first you need to focus on your responsibility and when you fulfilled your responsibility then you can concern yourself with with your right to be loved mm -hmm. back first mm -hmm. of all your neighbor has the right to be loved by you and you owe them that when you've once you've accomplished that. So so when you when you don't have Christ in there, it becomes <coughs> self-focused rather than other focused. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I've, I'm kind of learning this slowly that I, I hate positive white talk. I hate positive white people. I love I'm a negative rights guy. But mm -hmm. the more I think about it, the more I learn about it. People like Sterner are closer to the truth because they're not. It's not might makes right. It's might is. Right? Might is. Yes. Yes. And um. I, but positive rights or negative rights aren't these aren't the actual opposites. They're not the economy. The economy is contingency. Again, I'm gonna pull Aquinas because um, he's all about contingency. His arguments for God's existence is that your rights have to be contingent, and they mm -hmm. contingent on you, to be, you being able to influence people, fulfill people. What's possible? Like I said earlier, it's all about contingency. You have to be able to. You're not uh, no man is an island. Sadly. You know, you can go may maybe on your own in the woods. I have a friend who's in Florida living in the woods on his own, and I respect that. I was type to do that. But libertarians, they, they need, they really need some Aquinas, honestly. Like, if all of them would just read a little Aquinas and understand contingency, I think the entire philosophy would just be, over, be, would be fixed, honestly. I really do. Um, I, yeah, completely. I mean, and, and I, I would go so far as to say that, uh, well, to refer back to the, to the, the stream I was doing just before I came on here with you. We were talking about like there's people have asked the question before like if you were to get to this to to the king pilled perspective, like do you have to go through libertarianism to get to it, or can you can you get there without the libertarian side? And I think that I think ultimately Christianity is the the other like libertarians have like rationally derived a materialist Christianity, but. Mm -hmm. Christianity, there, there isn't just the material. You have to have the mystical. Without the mystical, the material is is yeah. is is un un, um, it's untethered to anything. And if you have the mystical side of it, 
the material will naturally follow. Mm. So I don't know that you need the libertarian side of things apart from just as like an interesting philosophical exercise. It's sort of like yeah. a proof. It's like, all right, well, we've got this thing here. So here's our proof for it. But then ultimately you have the practice and the practice. Mm -hmm. I, I love the way you mentioned that, that, um, that Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Implicit in that command is that you already love yourself and mm -hmm. that you are, you are commanded to love yourself because you, you can't love your neighbor as yourself yeah. until you've already loved yourself. Mm -hmm. So, so you, 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 like you have to begin with that point, but then you, ha you have to love your neighbor. Yeah. It doesn't say the greatest law is to love yourself. It's assumed that you're going to love yourself and then you have to love your neighbor. Um, and, and, and so much of libertarianism is so self-focused. It's not just use love as a verb, like a physical affection. Let's say love is assistance. You know, the Bible also says, uh, remove this plank in your own life and remove the speck in your brother's eye. Before you can remove the speck, you have to remove the plank. Before you can help someone, you have to help yourself. So if you want to influence and help people, you have to be able to have the ability to do so. So if someone needs money, you need to have money to be able to give them. Yeah. So you need to actually build up your own wealth, your own influence. And you need, if you want to actually influence the one help people, you have to build up your own wealth. And I yeah. don't think that is at all opposed to Christianity. Like I remember I was talking with some guy. He said, uh, I'm not against wealth, but it's not, money is the root of all evil. I'm like, you're never going to make a difference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're no, never going to no. do anything. If you, if you have this, it's crazy. That's the, that's the Randy in there too, that you, that the, the selfishness, the Randy and selfishness. Mm -hmm that you have to look out for yourself because if you don't look out for yourself, someone will have to, and you've mm -hmm. now become a burden upon your neighbor and it's not loving to be a burden upon your neighbor. So yeah. you first have to provide for your own self. Then you have to provide for your family. Then you, you could, you, there's like concentric circles going outwardly and you have to take each of those in order. If you haven't, Jordan Peterson says to clean up your own room before you try to take on the entire world. Yeah. You have to begin with yourself. And this is ultimately the message of wealth, power, and influence. And the message of King Pilled is mm -hmm. that you have to treat yourself as the king of your own world. You have to take full responsibility for your own life. The king is not, people think of it, the king is like, oh, it's the sexy like position of power and all that. Sure, it is. it is have, does have a lot of power and that can be mm -hmm. sexy, but part of power or, or synonymous with power is responsibility. Yeah. The king is the one who bears the ultimate responsibility. He yeah, is if he's responsible not a good king, for... If he's not a good king, to make him head sorter. It is incumbent upon exactly. his own interest to be good to people. Yes. And not, like, if you tax someone too much, they're going to rebel. Yes. That's why taxation was lower under kings because they knew they, could, they, they didn't want to start some shit. Right, you know? right. There was Because there was no justification for doing more unless mm -hmm. you were going to do it by force. Just be explicitly corrupt and do it by force. <laughs> and that's really costly. But yeah. ultimately... The, the way that you, you, you talked about Christianity there, I just, I just love like that Christianity is like a, um, it's almost like a, it's like a, the operating manual for a human society. It's, mm -hmm. it's describing like, here is your code. Here is your programming. You, you are programmed in this way. So if you want all, if you want all good mm -hmm. things, ABC, act this way, fulfill yes. these, fulfill this role, be embodied by mm -hmm. the Holy or, or be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. embody Christ in the way you behave. It's a, it's a, this isn't like woo woo <coughs> stuff. This is like, this is your operating manual. These are your mm -hmm. instructions for how to thrive and prosper in the world. You have to begin through empathy through providing value to the world, to bearing your responsibilities, taking responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then here's all these good things that will happen yeah. to you. 
I mean, look at it's in the Bible. Look at the Old Testament. You know, this is me. I learned, I, learned, I got I mean, Leviticus and um, Judges is that when the Christians were obeying God's law, they were safe. And you can lead that in very spiritual way. Like when they obeyed God's law, He protected them. We read in purely naturalistic terms that when they want to in degenerate behavior and make themselves weaker, they want a, they want weak and they want aggressed against because they want actual power. And that following God's law is either protection under the umbrella of His safety, or it's this: I am no longer dependent on other people, and I can protect myself. And so if you want to read this Bible in naturalistic terms or in spiritual terms, doing good and being a good person is its own reward. And it has benefits besides just feeling good. Yes. And one more point before we wrap it up and ask you to plug your stuff is um, Jordan Peterson is probably the most influential person alive right now. And uh, he didn't have a political party. He posted lectures on YouTube and then had some controversy around him. So he affected the most saints from the classroom and then used the classroom platform to elevate himself to a higher, higher platform. So, the idea like, yeah, oh, oh, the, uh, the bug we saw, Dave Smith people say, it seemed like, I just want to do a speaking tour. I have the political power to do that. Zona Peterson went for office and he had the biggest speaking tour of my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, he Absolutely. didn't win for office, he just did it. And like, if you got to, if you go to the Mises Institute, they did the Mises U and they traveled for it, think about the influence that would have. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, why they centralized the streaming networks is great, but. And especially if they had. Um, if they had people with wealth, power, and influence who mm-hmm. were promoting and advocating for them and supporting them and endorsing them yeah. and, um, you know, basically um, <coughs> imparting celebrity upon them that holds credibility in the eyes of, of lots of people. That's the secret to, to actually moving the culture, shifting the culture in a direction that will ultimately change the politics. Mm. Yeah, it's... <sighs> Matt, it's always fun. I love yeah, having man. you on. It is always it's, it's always a blast. Uh, where can people Next find week. you? Yes, I am. I'm so excited I got you on so quickly because last time I had you on, there was like a gap, and uh, you came <laughs> on and like we assessed everything. And I, I, I want to say I take a lot of shit by having you and Jason Stapleton on. Really? Yeah. Oh my! I have a lot of Chris Jason's whole family history thing. Kristen's mm-hmm. and that's on to that. Like it's no tomorrow. And I mean, Kayla and Horace said in a podcast with my friend Jacob, we shouldn't make personal attacks against people. And the moment he got pushed back, it was all personal attacks. Yeah. And they, they, they jump through hoops to find ways to justify it. Yep. You know, it, it, it's ridiculous. And so uh, I get a lot of shit. And you had me requesting to help Mises Cargis, the paleo thing. So love talking to you. It's always fun. Where can people find you at? Um, I'm, I'm most active typically on Twitter at real King Pilled. uh, YouTube, you can go to King Pilled and, uh, you can see our, we do our live streams two times a week there every Monday and Thursday. And we're finally up on pod. I think we should be on basically every podcatcher at this point. Um, mm-hmm. so just look for King Pilled, all one word, K I N G P I L L E D. And then I'm also the co-host of wealth, power and influence with Jason Stapleton. Cool. And we have, we created a, a it's, it's, it's not a social media platform. It's a community. We call it a community. Mm-hmm. It's for liberty-minded entrepreneurs um, or really anybody. See, we see everyone as entrepreneurs. Like every single one of us is an entrepreneur. It's just that most people only have one client. They only work for, they, they, all they do is sell their labor and they sell their labor to a single client. So our goal is not to turn people into entrepreneurs. You're already an entrepreneur. Our goal is to help you become a good entrepreneur so that you can create um, nomadic wealth that you can take with you anywhere. You can create mobile income <coughs> by developing rare and specialized skills and then attaching yourself to a community of high-quality people who are like-minded. If that's something that appeals to you, then um, you can check us out. Uh, go to, um, oh, I just forgot the, I think it's my, 
mynomadnetwork.app. Let me double check that real quick just to make sure that we got the right link here. Mynomadnetwork.app. I actually I joined the Nomad Network recently, and I uh, I love it. I I asked if you, I asked one question about how to better, how to better sell t-shirts, and I had like a three-hour conversation with the guy about t-shirts, and it was great. Nice. I learned a lot. I, I, I absolutely, I love having a resource of people now. You know, that's why I love about Twitter. If I want to talk to people, I can ask questions. And now I have people specialized in certain things that I can talk talk to. And so it's a great, great network. That's really good. I think that the best way to go, the best way to get to it would be controlthesource.com. That'll get Control you there. Controlthesource.com. Okay, everybody, it's been another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Book Club. Talking about, well, we talked a little bit about, not enough, sadly, about Stories to Your Man. Go read it if you want to learn more. Um, Protestant is fake and gay. Don't want a real religion. 